Thanks for visiting studiolighting.net. You're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 15 of Light Source, the official podcast of studiolighting.net. Studiolighting.net introduces photographers to studio lighting and portrait equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. On today's episode, episode 15, we're going to speak with uh, Christopher Gray. He has uh, written a number of books, uh, one of them being The Master Lighting Guide from Amherst Group. And he's also an instructor and uh, on-air personality from ShootSmarter.com and ShootSmarter University. So we're going to be talking with him about lighting and some of his various workshop techniques. And um, I was really excited to get him on the show because the book that he has is a uh, is one of my bibles of uh, of lighting and and it's a great mix of fundamentals and uh, like technique and advanced techniques and stuff like that all in one book. So it's a good yeah, I agree. I think it's an excellent one. Um, not a whole lot of news going on though, is there? Not really. Um, the the raw survey that we mentioned with camera raw. So they published their results. Uh, that would be at openraw.org. Talks about how most people use raw because of the control that it gives you post production and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. Kind of gives you a flavor of the reasons that people use camera raw. So if you're not sure what raw is about, this might be kind of a, a neat place just to to read about it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it's a good idea for people to check it out. Um, also, the other news is Sony looks like they're getting into the digital SLR line. I think we had on, a, on on the site a while back that they had purchased all of the assets from another major can, camera manufacturer. Was it Minolta? I think they have, and they look like they're coming out with their Alpha line, is what they're calling it. So that'll be uh, interesting to see how that shapes out for them. I, I, I own a bunch of Sony digital cameras, so I'm kind of curious to see what they do in the market. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I guess the other news, at least for, for me personally, is I uh, have a... Alien B's battery pack set up, their Vagabond pack, and uh, Bill and I actually got to go out and shoot with it with a model on, uh, was that Friday at lunch? Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. (laughs) That was very cool. We have some of the pictures in the Flickr pool. Yeah, yeah, but there's a few up there. That's the first time that I'd ever used strobes outdoors, so that was a great time. It was really interesting. I'd only used them outdoors one other time, and that was at night. And this was a whole other animal because I really got a chance to, because it was so bright outside, you could kick the power up on the light and, and really underexpose that background and kind of almost get a an evening effect to it or very moody. So it was pretty slick. I, I really liked it a lot. I look forward to doing more with it. And maybe next time I won't leave the light meter in the softbox in the car. Yeah, that made it a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but the images, you can't really tell from looking at the images. No, I think, well, I don't think so. But, you know, it's kind of... That's my rule, my my mantra of the day, I guess, is remember you have all of your gear before you go. Yeah. I've been doing that too much lately. Well, not only that, we got to the car, we had everything there, and then we didn't take everything from the car to the location, so that's another. <laughs> but i got to say that that, that Vagabond was was really a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. It was a little scary at first because of the having to ground it to something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but once you get around that, it's... It's really it's really cool. I mean, you just slide it wherever you want to, and 
It's got some heft to it, but, you know, you can wear it like a backpack. And, I mean, you notice that the weight's there to, to walk to somewhere, but it's a lot better than not having a strobe. Well, when you consider what you're getting, I mean, you can power how many strobes from that one unit? I think the, the 500 or the 300 unit that we have, I think it says that you can do 25 strobes. So you can take all of your lights to a location and completely have total control. It's really good stuff. I think I started around 8, and I think I shot to like 9.30 or 10. was using a modeling light almost all of the time. So, I mean, I was pulling a lot of amperage for it. So, I mean, it wasn't until like 9.30 or so, you know, about an hour and a half later, that the battery started to die on me. So Wow. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, it has a pretty decent life. Definitely some cool stuff. Um, I think that's it for news, though. I want to leave lots of room for this interview that we have with Chris Gray. So... Without further ado, yeah, let's hop right into that interview. Let's do it. We have with us Christopher Gray, a talented uh, professional photographer for uh, over 30 years of experience. He's an accomplished author, writes articles on ShootSmarter.com, and he has a couple books from Amherst Media. And probably one of my favorite is The Master Lighting Guy, which is my Bible when I'm in a studio. So thank you for being with us tonight, Chris. Oh, my pleasure. So... You've been a photographer for thirty years. How did you How did you get started, and when did you uh, get the bug for photography? Yeah, I've actually been a photographer a lot longer than that. Um, uh, back in eighth grade, my father gave me a brownie darkroom kit that he'd had when he was a kid, and I did it for a science fair project, and I was hooked. And uh, <laughs> next year, freshman in high school, I was the geek with the camera. Uh, uh, but also at age 14, I shot my first uh, wedding, my first advertising shot, and my first nude. Wow. So it was at a, age 14? <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of a cliched uh, shot. But you know what? It, it still looks pretty good. Well, even the the wedding was what I was really surprised about because I've, I've shot one, and I know the stress involved behind it. I've always enjoyed that... them. Uh, I, I've... <laughs> Never had a problem getting along with uh, uh, the moms and, and you know the little interpersonal snags that people run into. Uh, I just uh, ran out of steam as far as uh, how many ham sandwiches I could eat. But the first one that I did, I, I shot it with uh, flash bulbs, and it was black and white. And uh, I think I the entire charge for it was like two hundred and forty-two dollars. So. But I was 14. That was a lot of money, you know. Sure. It was also a long time ago, so it was even more money. That's so then, nice. from there, you took it farther. Well, yeah, I went, uh, did the whole high school thing, and continued to shoot weddings, and uh, paid for my college education with weddings and portraits and advertising work, and then uh, officially hung up my shingle in 1971, and started my studio, and got into. Uh, a lot of advertising work. I was working with a, uh, a game manufacturer and doing all of their packaging stuff. I was doing uh, uh, illustrations for a clothing pattern manufacturer. So they would they would create these really funky patterns and sew them up, and then I'd have to photograph them on a model. Hmm. And remember, this is back in the 70s when, when clothes were pretty odd. <laughs> So they would, <laughs> they came up with some pretty interesting stuff, but it was all great fun and uh, shot a lot of it with hot lights. Uh, I had studio strobes back then; they were they were humongous old Ascor 
um, strobes. So 1,200 watt seconds, it weighed about 600 pounds. Uh, but the, the generators themselves, if you can imagine stacking like eight microwaves on top of each other, oh and that my. was the size of, of 1,200 watt seconds of power. It had its own cart with heavy-duty wheels and a welded steel frame and everything. Wow. And, and, and now they fit it in a lunchbox. Yeah. And there were many stories of uh, photographers making impromptu uh, airborne trips across the studio when they grabbed the wrong wire, but unfortunately that never happened to me. So I was I was lucky. <laughs> and then I also got into uh, stock photography back then and fine art and gosh, pretty much whatever. I wanted to be the, the best generalist that I could possibly be, and I didn't want to, to be a you know, like a food specialist or, or something like that. I have nothing against those specialties. I think they're terrific, but uh, my attention span is, is not long enough to do, with, you know, do one thing entirely. Well, I completely relate to that. Well, now, Chris, it sounds like you've had a wonderful career, and you're using it to help other photographers. Can you tell us a little bit about what your careers looked like more recently? Well, it's changed a lot uh, over the last... I guess it would be about seven years since I wrote my first book, um, which is A Photographer's Guide to Polaroid Transfer. Um, I've done more seminars, and I've done more workshops, and I'm, I'm teaching through Shoot Smarter University in Aurora, Illinois. Wonderful place. We'll talk about that a bit. Um, but I guess what's really, really happened uh, to me, I've found out how much I enjoy teaching. And uh, I, I love it when I've got a class full of working photographers because they're paying good money to be there. They want to learn. They are, without question, the most motivated group of people you could possibly work with. And it's just a, just a joy. I mean, it, it's an absolute treat for me to be able to, to take this huge bag of tricks that I've accumulated so I can do this and do that and whatever. It's just terrific. That's wonderful. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what the seminars are like at Shoot Smarter University? What are what what would an example class be like? Well, the the latest batch uh, is called Digital Lighting with Style, and as you and any of the listeners know, who are working with digital, it is a lot more complicated than the manufacturers let on. Uh, tolerances, for instance, with exposure are a lot tighter than they are with film. Digital does not tolerate a great deal of slop. And you don't have anybody in a lab to kind of save your bacon if you screw up. There's nobody there to burn any information in in the, in the darkroom because there's no information to burn in. So what we've done at Shoot Smarter and what uh, Will Crockett, the founder of Shoot Smarter, has asked me to do is to create a class that combines the tight instruction and the tight digital control that you have to have as well as um, an overview of lighting styles for portraiture as well as, as other situations that a typical photographer would come in contact with as far as lighting are concerned. So you could say, uh, okay, day one we're going to look at the three classic styles of portrait lighting and on a corporate environment. So you're going to learn how to work a room uh, if you have a corporate event, and you're going to learn how to modify your on-camera flash, and you're going to learn <clears throat> what equipment you have to have that will best do the job for you, whatever your employer wants. Uh, 
And then day three, we look at more specialized types of lighting, like Hollywood lighting from the 30s and 40s, how to emulate those styles. And we'll go out and we'll do outdoor portraiture. So, I mean, it's a huge range of lighting issues and style issues. And, it's, you know, the, it all boils down to just one simple word, which is control. And we stress, I certainly do anyway, uh, stress how tightly you can control your shooting environment if you just think. I think that's really interesting because a lot of times I think you hear, you know, I'll fix it in Photoshop or, oh, I can just tell from my viewfinder how how my shot looks. That's not what I'm hearing from you. No, no. Uh, that LCD is not a light meter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just can't use it that way. And it's not it's not a fair and accurate representation of what you're seeing. And in fact, a lot of times if you if you deliberately set your exposure and manual and take a picture and look at it on the LCD, and then mess up the exposure by two stops and, and hmm. underexpose it by two stops and look at the picture on the LCD, it's virtually the same because it's the it's the camera's job to show you what it took a picture of. It's not the camera's job to show you how well that picture is represented. So it's really, it's the back of the LCD is really just for composition, not really exposure. Yeah, it's a quick judge, but it's not, not accurate at all. A lot of times, you, what, what you really have to do is you have to trust your external light meter. And especially in studio situations, you've got to have a flash meter that's been calibrated to your equipment because the stuff will vary coming out of the box. It can vary by as much as half a stop. Wow. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, a meter that works perfectly with one manufacturer may not work the same with another. Now, I know from personal ex- experience that my light meter is calibrated six-tenths of a stop over what it read when it came out of the box. Hmm. And I calibrated it very, very carefully to my equipment. I know that it's absolutely right on the money. And in fact, that six-tenths over, it's one stop or one-tenth of a stop lower than optimum. So what that means to me is I can't blow out a highlight unless I really want to. Unless you're doing it on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And I guess the bottom line is that we've, uh, if you can get your images that accurate in the camera, then you can eliminate a lot of post-processing time. I mean, we've interviewed lots of photographers, and many of them have said how much time they spend in post-production. Um, it just seems like it's really a dream. Oh, it's huge. So the less of that that these guys have to do, the better it sounds like to me. Oh, absolutely. Um you know, I'll go back, if, if somebody orders an 8x10, let's say, off of uh, one of those images, I will go back and I'll open that up in Photoshop and I'll really feel that the exposure needs the extra tenth of a stop increase. It's an easy thing to fix. Right. But I don't, have to, I don't have to go through every single file and optimize it in levels or curves. Most importantly, I'm shooting JPEGs. I'm not shooting RAW. So I don't even have to go through that whole rigmarole of processing a bunch of files, which is horrendously time-consuming. I've just well, got it nailed down to where it is so tight that I know it's going to be perfect coming out of the gate. That's great. It makes you be able to deliver your proofs or whatever quicker as well because you don't have to spend the time correcting them to get them to your client. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talked about how important it is to calibrate your meter. Can you talk a little bit, too, about 
about metering technique and how you would get the most accurate reading of a scene, for example, maybe a multiple light portrait setup, particularly in terms of like where you would place the light meter and you know point it at the light source versus at the camera, etc. Well, um, the most accurate way to use a light meter uh, when taking a picture of a person, you know, that incident dome that you have on the meter, that will take light just like a face will. It'll curve the light around and it will show the highlight from whatever direction the key is coming from and it will take into account the shadows on the other side, right? So the best place to put that incident dome light meter is right under the chin of your subject and don't aim it at the light, aim it at the camera. So if you have that thing aimed directly at the camera and under the chin, the dome on the meter is going to take the light exactly the same way as the face does. And it will curve around from its highlight side over to its uh, shadow side. And it will take all this into account when it, when it makes its light meter reading. So if it tells you, for instance, uh, F11 and one-third, and you set then your, your camera's aperture at F11 plus one-third, or F13 on the cameras now, um, you're going to have wonderful information across the, uh, the diffused highlight, which is the, the information-rich area of the face, and you're going to have a really nice slide from the diffusion high, diffused highlight into the shadow, uh, that area that we call a transition zone. And it's all because you've aimed your meter exactly the best way. Now, when you, when you are uh, setting hair lights and background lights, uh, well, let's, let's say you're, looking, you're working on a background light. So you've got uh, one light shining behind your subject onto a wall or a piece of cloth or whatever, okay? Picked which is to say equal to the key. You stick your head in front of the camera, right at lens height, uh, draw a visual bead on that part of the background where you want the light, the exposure to be the same, and then go and meter at that spot with the meter aimed in the general direction of the camera. So the hair lights and background lights uh, needn't be as precisely metered as the key light but the key light must be right on the money because that is the key to the entire lighting scenario. That makes sense. Now, a lot of people ask us if they should be turning the other lights off when they take the meter of the main light, or, you know, should they leave them all on? Uh, what is the combination of turning your lights on and off to do this properly? Uh, if you've got an area that is lit by another light, for instance, if you've got spill from the uh, hair light falling onto the face and that, that is added into the light that is coming onto the face from the key, then it does add uh, value to that exposure. So if you're turning off your lights and metering each one separately, that's fine to make sure that they're all um, on the money. But then you need to turn everything back on, all of them together, and take one more reading uh, from the face, below the chin, aimed at the camera. And any influence from any other light, whether it's bounce from a fill card or bounce from a white wall in the studio, the effects of light are cumulative. So that tenth of a stop, two-tenths of a stop, maybe a third of a stop. 
So you need to take that into account. So take your your final exposure reading at the very end, right before the shoot. You should have everything on just the way it will be in the final image. Yep. Great. Uh, generally speaking, if you know if you're just taking uh, readings of some of these other lights, the background light and the hair light and whatever, just use your hand, use the palm of your hand to shield the dome from any influence from those other lights, and that's usually just fine, unless you've got lights that are deliberately spilling onto each other, in, in which case you'll have to take that multiple spill into account. Just remember always that the effects of light are cumulative. So let's say you set up a key light and you meter it and it's F11, and you go, I'd really like some fill in those shadows. And so you, you bring a, a bookend fill card in and you know park it a foot away from your subject. Even though that fill card is not an active light source, it is going to add exposure. It is going to add light to that image. So you're going to have to re-meter and then reset your exposure or power down your strobe or move it just back a little bit along its axis just to bring that light reading back to where it was before you moved the fill card in. You mentioned um, a bookend, but you have some pictures in an article about a homemade bookend card. Do you want to tell us what that is? And I thought that was a... Are, are you talking about the bookend bounce? Yeah, the bookend bounce. I thought that was pretty neat. And you know, writing the Shoot Smarter articles is a lot of fun because I get to dig into my bag of tricks and actually get to pull rabbits out of my hat a lot of times. <laughs> But um, I was walking around the studio trying to figure out, because we had the deadline looming, of course. None of us ever do things without a deadline. And uh, I was just kind of wandering around going, what should I write about? What should I write about? What should I write about? And I had this old bookend. Now, a bookend, for those of you who don't know, is two sheets of 4-foot by 8-foot white foam core taped together along one common spine. And open it up into kind of a V-shape or an L-shape, and it will stand by itself. And depending on how you want it, you can make it a really, really wide bounce, or you can be kind of subjective about it and, and use it just to fill certain areas. You can also make these things out of black foam core, which then is subtractive fill. So if you move it in, you're going to deepen up the shadows. So anyway, I'm, I'm looking at this thing going, you know, I've always wondered if this would work. And what I ended up doing was I, I cut a hole in the spine that I could get my camera through. It was right about at eye level. And then on the inside of the bookend bounce, I put black paint where the camera was going to go through. And the reason that the black paint is there is if you wrap your subject in white and throw light into it, you're going to get this Night of the Living Dead white eye look, Okay. So the, the black paint, what it does is it colors in the pupil, and it puts color back in the, in the iris of the eye. And it's just a really slick little trick. So anyway, what I ended up doing was I put a uh, parabolic reflector up on a boom arm, and I aimed that at the back of my subject. And then I had the bookend right at my subject's face. So the light coming from the boom is hitting at oh, plus two stops over the light that's reflecting back from the bookend onto my subject. And then I put a little, another little uh, flag on another boom arm just to throw a shadow over this little hole that I was shooting through so I wouldn't get any light flare on my lens. Well, the result is this wonderful uh, 
super soft wraparound light with you know beautiful skin color and these really intense eyes, really dark pupils, and really nice eye color. This thing worked better than I ever thought it would, and I was just I was thrilled because you know here's my here's my column for the month for one thing, and one heck of a little gizmo that I could play with in in my own work. I've had so much fun with this bookend bounce that um, they have one now at Shoot Smarter. I bring it out for a, a lighting demo night, and everybody goes, "That's the thing that you wrote about." <laughs> oh, oh, I meant to do that, you know, and. Uh, and I show them how well it works, and I show them how well it works with the reverse cookie and a couple of other things. And everybody just gets so sparked up and energized. It's wonderful. This is a... It's neat. Uh, yeah, you know, and I'd, I would invite any of your readers and listeners uh, to go to shootsmarter.com and sign up. It's free. All you need to do is list your first and last name and your email address. Uh, they never give away your information. And then you can go and read anything you want any of the Shoot Smarter archives. It is a tremendous digital resource. Absolutely. And, of course, you can go in and check out my bookend boss panel uh, uh, column and see how to build one for yourself. Really simple. And it's, and it's just beautiful, beautiful light. So. I, I think I would like to add that the, the hardest part I had about building one of the bookend bounces uh-huh. was actually getting the foam core home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because the the place I bought them from didn't sell them in four by eight sheets, and they were like in maybe a four by four. And the next biggest size they had was uh, bigger than my station wagon. Oh, you're kidding! No, I'm not. I didn't even kidding. know you could get it bigger than four by eight. It was at a, a Dick Black Art Store locally here. Yeah, it was it was much larger than that, and I ended up I felt like an idiot that I had paid the money for this foam core, and here I am in the parking lot creasing it to get it into the car. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're probably going. Oh, what is that guy doing? I'm like, well, it's like I'm not going to paint on it. <laughs> I just needed to bounce light. That's wild. Uh, did you finally get it to work for you? Oh yeah, it's it's a great little tool to have around. I have two of them standing up in the basement. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think uh, bookends are wonderfully versatile, really inexpensive, uh, and easily re- replaced uh, tools. You know, if you mess one up or crease it getting into your car you know you can always get it. <laughs> um, and the, I wrote and the that best article. part is you don't need a stand <laughs> that's true yeah it's you don't true. need a stand or a holder yep absolutely they just stand up by themselves now what it, uh, I wrote a column oh I don't know three or four months ago on using a sheet of white milky plexiglass for backlighting hmm. and for getting a, you know a perfect totally white background that's interesting. Hmm. So my one of the one of my readers emailed me and said, "Well, you idiot, you you recommended renting a pickup truck if you have to to go and get you know this plexiglass. Why didn't you tell people as long as they're out with the pickup to pick up some white foam core too? Oh, I never <laughs> even thought of that. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> yeah, but um, realistically, if you if you can borrow a pickup truck or whatever, you should." Go get some and pick up a couple of sheets of uh, 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 8-inch white milky plexiglass at the same time because that's another wonderfully useful uh, little tool in the studio. Well, we'll have to put that in the show notes. Christopher Gray's hardware shopping list. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. 
Yeah, that is that's very good. We we talk a lot about how our favorite photography store is Home Depot. <laughs> it is too. Uh, <laughs> I use it a lot for that very same reason. Also, a great place. To, I, I I repaint my studio walls probably six times a year. Oh, wow! And uh, you know, always putting different patterns and whatever up there just to kind of keep it fresh. And uh, yeah, Home Depot is a great resource as far as that stuff goes. We've got uh, tons of different uh, painting tools. Uh, the woolly. I don't know if you've ever seen a woolly, but a woolly is a terrific tool for painting a modeled studio background, you know, like a portrait background. Mm. Oh, yeah, I have seen those. You can get the full kit, I think, is like 30 bucks and includes a videotape on how to use it. And it's just a spectacular little lamb's wool device that allows you to tap uh, a pattern of lighter color into place. So you're kind of a, doing your... Van Gogh impressionist thing up there, or your Monet impressionist thing, tapping different colors into place. Um, but the final result is a wonderfully modeled background. It's just really rich in colors. Wow, we'll have to try that. Yeah, yeah I've been... I definitely recommend doing that because it's a, it's a great little tool. They also have a double roller and a special double tray so you can put two different colors. You know, one color in one side of the tray and one color in the other, and then just fill up the rollers and you roll back and forth across your wall in a goofy pattern however you feel like painting it and it's another really easy way to get a beautifully modeled look to your wall and then if you add if you change after you get the center done and you add some black to each of the two colors you can kind of vignette the wall you know as you mm. go Ooh, it's a really good advice i like that yeah you don't have to do it with a light, and if you do throw a light back there, it just looks all the more dramatic. That's great. I've been trying to get Bill to come over and help me build a, a shooting wall and under the gut. Well, actually, help him get me to remodel the basement under the guise of it being a shooting wall for us. <laughs> <laughs> Has he bought into it yet? I'm I'm still working. I'm on almost it. there. <laughs> <laughs> then our next trip is we're going to be canvassing all the wallpaper for outlets. Oh yeah. Looking for some pattern backgrounds. Oh, Definitely. okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, now. When you do that, are you talking about um, a repeating pattern, or are you talking something like the old murals that uh, uh, you know, the wall-sized murals that you could buy? Oh, I'm thinking about different, like repeating patterns. Okay. Do some uh, different stripes, maybe some old Victorian type style, or yeah, it's kind of a trend right now, I think. Well, I've seen a lot of painted backgrounds that have, you know, trellises and mm. muted clouds and stuff like that. I, I think they're beautiful. Do you have anything that, anything else you've been working on that's going to be coming out soon? Well, I've, uh, I've written a book on really cool Photoshop tricks. Great. That most of them I've invented myself. I haven't seen them done. And it's... Uh, you know, Photoshop has a number of, of little buttons you can push, and one will say chalk and charcoal, for instance, and you push and it doesn't look anything like chalk and charcoal. <laughs> and one, has, one is watercolor, and you click that one, and it doesn't look anything like a watercolor. Uh, but I figured out uh, how to do a heavy pencil sketch or a watercolor, and they look doggone believable. That's great. And then I've also gone through and figured out a number of uh, uh, corresponding Photoshop methods for some of the old analog tricks, like uh, uh, the, the view camera short focus, for instance. And that, Ooh. you know, and that's 
I always love that about view cameras. You swing those standards into illegal positions, you know, and you get depth of field that's about an eighth of an inch deep. And uh, it was very cool. And you can do that. It's really simple. I just have not seen it explained the way I do it before. So anyway, this uh, uh, this book is is done. It's uh, awaiting publication. We haven't signed the contract yet, so I can't tell you who's going to do it. But it's going to be a really neat book when it comes out. And then uh, I've just signed a contract with Focal Press, which is a, a British publisher, and they have uh, offices here, of course, too, to write the ultimate guide to Canon cameras and Canon equipment. Uh-oh. And I've been a Canon guy since they came out with the D60. Um, I switched from another brand, never regretted it. It's Canon is just wonderful equipment. And this particular publisher found me through the Shoot Smarter Connection and uh, offered me the job of writing this this piece. You know, this would really be cool uh, because now I'll actually be a real expert. <laughs> That's really good. I, I have no choice but to actually learn how to do all this stuff. So It's going to be a really neat book, and it's essentially taking what many people think is an incomprehensible pile of very small pages in their instruction manual and showing through uh, my typical chatty uh, writing style and uh, uh, more easily digested form. So I I think it's going to be a neat project, and I've got about a year to write it. So I'd say in about 16 months that should be out. Now, folks can watch your website to to keep an eye out for those? Absolutely. Uh, ChristopherGray.com, and it's G-R-E-Y. If you type gray with an A, I think you go to some uh, kid's site. Take a look. Um, I'm going to be redesigning it soon, so you know you can go now and, and check back a couple months from now, and it should be a little bit different. Now, you also have a DVD on the way. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about that? I do. Um, we just taped this three. Uh, it's the third volume in a set, and it's going to be an ongoing set. Uh, Will Crockett did the first two. And now Will says I'm his go-to guy for lighting, so I'm going to get to do them from now on. This was really a, this was a terrific experience. Uh, I'd been on camera before, but never for five days in a row. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it was it was really fun. But uh, we go through um, oh just tons of stuff. We did, we talk about uh, the most in-demand styles of portraiture, you know, like editorial and uh, corporate and personal and etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and we talk about the closed-loop butterfly and show how they, how they differ and why they work and how they can work together. I think, of course, I'm, I'm one-sided here, but I think it's probably the best lighting DVD that I've ever seen, uh, and I'm not saying that just because I'm in it. There are a lot of people who can deliver this message uh, you know, with more on-camera persona than I have, but for the amount of information and the amount of tips... Uh, I, I think it's going to help a lot of people get a grip on their lighting. Well, if there are anything like the DVDs from ShootSmarter.com that we've checked out, I'm sure they'll be wonderful because uh, we've said this on the show before, but those DVDs are just a tremendous starting point for anyone. Absolutely. One of the one of the great things about ShootSmarter is there's very little fluff in the information. Crockett is is very specific about this. It's It's no BS. It's just lay it out there. Tell the truth and go for it and uh, and give them their money's worth. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be a part of the whole Shoot Smarter deal. I kind of lucked into it. I met Will at a, at a seminar, and I had decided that 
that I really wanted to teach more than I had been. And so I emailed him and I said, uh, you know, I wonder if there's a small chair for me at this table because I'd, I'd really like to work with you. And he got back to me and he said, well, I understand you've written a book. Um, would you send me a copy? So I sent him a copy and three days later he called and he said, dude, I just finished your book. This is terrific. we got to work together. Oh, that's great. And we've been working together ever since. It's, it's just been great. Well, your book is definitely a benchmark in a lot of ways. I think it's a great mix of principles of light, but also technique and some really unique ideas worth picking up if you don't have it already. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I really do. Great job on that. One of the frequent comments that I get on it, and I'm really glad I did this, is all of the lighting diagrams and all of the in-production uh, shots that we do. People find these diagrams and the explanations of the lighting ratios and everything just extremely helpful. So I'm glad we did that. Great. Now, Chris, we have a little bit of an unusual tradition on the show. We like to fire some rapid-fire questions at the guests and see how they see how they hold up. Are you interested? <laughs> sure. All right, well, let's get started with some of the easy ones. We'll throw you some softballs first. Uh, digital or film? Digital. Favorite body that you have currently? Uh I'm really, really in love with my 1DS. It's just a workhorse. I think I've had it two and a half years. I'm somewhere in my 80,000th uh, frame oh, wow. with the thing. And it's just a workhorse. It's, it's like a, an old pair of slippers. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Okay, favorite light modifier. Oh, there are so many. My current uh, favorite light modifier is the one foot by six foot strip light softbox. In fact, I, I think I may write my next article on it. Uh, we rented an old theater with this wonderfully beat up wall, just gorgeous wall. And I lit it from the sides with two of these strip lights. The light is beautiful. It, it contours their features, but then it falls off the shadow quickly because it's so narrow, you know, and it spreads over the, uh, over the wall and it textures the wall, but it not overly so, because that the wall actually is at the edge of its light spread. So it's it's really controllable and and quite contained and beautiful light. So that's my that's my current mostest favoritist light modifier. Mostest favoritist. <laughs> uh, favorite magazine. You know I don't really have one. I I, fl I flit about. Fair enough. Rock and roll or jazz? Just throw that one in. Oh, jazz. Great. I'm a big fan of classic rock and roll and also pre-classic rock and roll, the 50s stuff. Um, I mean, my iPod is just full of this stuff. So, <laughs> Outstanding. It's great. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us tonight, Chris, and just a tremendous amount of wisdom. I'm sure we could continue talking on for another hour or two. but. <laughs> well, I thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you and with your uh, group. I'm totally thrilled to be able to do this, and thank you so much, guys. Sure thing. Thank you. That's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the Internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for links to the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you'll also find links to our photography and kind of keep up on some of the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us questions or feedback about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll either try to answer those questions on the show or on the forum in the lighting's question section. 
or you can get feedback on your photos at our new Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. Until next time, take care.